got stories, cards, and symbols, and all of the above, myths, tarot, love. Welcome to Myth Tarot Love, a show about ancient stories and witchy wisdom. I'm your host, Biddy Diana. Welcome back, everybody. I am so happy uh, to be back today to continue our discussion of the court cards. This time we'll be talking about the knights. But before I do that, I do have a quick announcement to make. As you may have noticed from the title of this episode, we are quickly approaching the 100th episode of this podcast, which is just wild to me to think of. So in celebration of this, I wanted to do something special and a little bit different. So what I've decided to do is have a special 100th episode live event that will be live streaming on YouTube on November the 24th at 7 p.m. EST. My guest for this special episode will be the one and only Miss Rose, and she will be there playing our theme song live. She will also be joining me for a Q&A section of the show. So if you have any burning um, questions, I'm going to say messages. I guess if you have a burning message too, go for it. Um, But you can email or message me at mythtarolove. on Instagram or mythtarolove at gmail.com just to make sure that we get them ahead of time. Um, But you can also interact with us directly by coming to the live stream. So if you'd like to be a part of this historic event, head on over to my YouTube channel, Biddy Diana, and subscribe to my channel and hit the notification bell. That way you won't miss any updates or announcements before the big day. You can also save the date by marking it down in your calendar, which again is November the 24th at 7 p.m. I will be sure to remind us as it gets closer as well. And I look forward to seeing and chatting with you all there. So as I mentioned last week, I see the night court cards as being connected to movement. This can be about how we move around in the world or even how we move our bodies physically. As someone with a chronic illness, I will often lean into these cards for support and as a reminder to care for for myself, especially when I'm not feeling well, Um, but I will point out those cards um, when we get to them. As before, I will go through the night cards one at a time and include the reversed meanings for each one too. After that, (laughs) in the myth portion of today's episode, I'm going to be talking about horses. (laughs) So without any further ado, let's jump in. So the knights in the traditional uh, Smith Rider Waite deck are all depicted as men uh, wearing what looks to me like medieval style armor, and they're all sitting on top of a horse. The horses range from standing still to running, and one even looks like it's in a full gallop. Like I mentioned last week, I don't necessarily see the court cards as people in our lives. Instead, I see them as aspects of ourselves. And in this case, I think that the horses are almost kind of more connected to us um, 
since this is about how we move in the world. So today I'm going to start with the Knight of Cups. So when it comes to, when this comes up in reading, it is asking us to move steadily. So once we have settled into resting in the midst of the waves, like we did with last week with our Page of Cups, we are now ready to practice that. So we are being asked to keep an eye on what we want and what our intentions are, while also maintaining our connection to rest. This movement can be fast or slow, um, but the focus here is more on kind of that balance and temperance. If this comes up reversed, it is suggesting that we might be moving in a way that is not centering our emotions and rest, but are trying to bypass them instead. We may be too pushing too hard and therefore it's, you know, it's not sustainable long-term. The next card that I want to talk about is the Knight of Pentacles. So this is similar to the cups in some ways. Um, but it is really asking us to move in a more intentional way and to not rush. This is the slowest of the nights in terms of speed, um, and it might even be one of the slowest cups, sorry, one of the slowest cards in the deck. Um, and it, like I said, it's asking us to move with intention and in a way that feels good and restorative and supportive for our body. So really with this, there is no rushing involved. It asks us to move instead with our goal in mind, while also being conscious of the way that we interact with the world around us. Um, it reminds us that we are stewards of the earth and how we move. So I'm thinking specifically of like driving, flying, biking, walking, those sorts of things, right? They all have impacts on the world around us. So depending on where this is coming up in reading, it this might be the message there. Reversed, um, we're probably feeling a little bit rushed or impatient. Um, and again, I said this about the cards before, right? You don't want to burn yourself out before you even start the journey or before the end. So in this case, slow and steady wins the race. Um, but also life isn't a race, right? And so I think this is also more about having the intention around how you will get somewhere, which I know is really like kind of vague and ambiguous, but I, yeah, and I'm not saying right to not use certain modes of transportation, but maybe just being a little bit more aware of how it impacts the planet. Um, one way that this card can <clears throat> come up for me or crop up as someone with chronic illness and chronic pain is that it reminds me, um, really that I should <laughs> use my accessible parking pass that I have, um, probably a little more often, um, because it will help me to mitigate the impact that walking long distances and in certain ways has on my body, which is a mode of transportation, right? Next uh, is the Knight of Wands. So 
This is also another card that I lean on a lot when I am in pain, um, either chronically or when I'm in the middle of a flare-up. This card is about finding a flow and a rhythm, right? Moving how we want to and in a way that feels good in our body and for our body. Um, this card asks us, yeah, just to move in a way that provides enjoyment and pleasure um, and that makes us feel good. If it comes up reversed, we may be looking at other people a little bit too much and trying to emulate them instead of moving how we need and want to. So that's not to say that it's not good to take, you know, advice from trained professionals, but you are in your body as well and also have that autonomy to know what, you know, does feel good and what doesn't. This could also, um, if it comes up reversed, be indicating that there might be some grief or frustration around not being able to move in a way that you want to. Um, I know, again, this can come up for me. Um, it still does sometimes, right? In terms of being frustrated with what I physically can and can't do when I'm in pain. Um, so what I've started practicing, you know, over the years is instead of fighting my body and pushing it past its limits is just showing it some ease and grace and treating it with as much care as I can. And finally, we have the Knight of Swords, which, or who, <laughs> I guess, is the fastest knight. This is the one that, you know, gets shit done. Um, and has a lot of drive and determination. So besides being the fastest knight, I think it is also <clears throat> one of the fastest cards in the tarot. And so when it comes up in reading, it is saying you know, that you can go faster and further than you ever thought possible. You are capable of accomplishing a lot in that moment. Um, but also as fast as this card can come in, it can also go out, right? So this card is almost like that idea of a sprint and not a marathon, um, unlike the Knight of Pentacles. For me, the energy of this card is when we have a lot of energy <laughs> to, um, you know, to, to get things done that's on our to-do list and maybe get everything done as opposed to on other days, we can only do one thing. You know, neither is good or bad. I don't really see morality around these things, um, but it's more about allowing ourselves to kind of let that extra gust of wind push us further. Um, and so, yeah, we're going with the wind instead of against it. Um, but if this card comes up first, it is a, a reminder that although we may be speedy, our bodies still have needs, <laughs> right? We still need to eat. We still need to take a break. So again, make sure to do that so that you're not causing burnout. All right. So those are our nights. I would love to hear um, how you all engage with the nights and with movement as well. But now I'm going to turn to the myth portion of the show. And there are so many ways, right? When I was thinking about this topic and thinking about movement, 
oh, it actually did lead to a bit of decision anxiety. Um, but I am happy with where I landed. So thinking about movement in the ancient world, uh, I came up with ideas, you know, talking to talk about Roman roads or migration, boats, trade networks, uh, right? So how like people physically moved, but, or, you know, I could take it in a different direction and look at mythology, like the epic poem of the Odyssey, um, or even expand on last week's topic of different sports and spectacles. So, but instead I decided to talk about horses. Um, but if any of those topics that I just mentioned sparked an interest, please let me know. And I would be happy to talk about them, uh, further, but yeah, I don't know why for some reason, just, I thought it was kind of funny to just kind of have a section on horses since we do have them in all of our night cards and we see them in other cards as well. The one that's jumping out to mind right now is the death card. Um, so yeah, right. Why not? So having been to Greece this past summer, I went to a lot of museums, like definitely over 10 or 15. Um, and I didn't notice it at the time, but there were definitely horses everywhere <laughs> in sculpture, mosaics, relief carvings, you know, every art form that you can think of. Um, so I thought it might be fun to look again at horses, starting with the etymology. Um, so the words for horse in Greek and Latin, um, talk about some mythical horses, and then finally the importance to their societies. So when we think about etymology or how words are formed, um, specifically in English, because that is what I primarily speak, um, there are two main roots of where our, you know, words in English come from, which is Greek and Latin and also Germanic. Um, but I'm going to discuss Greek and Latin today. Um, yeah, so there are two words specifically, I think, for me anyways, that come to mind, particularly when thinking about horses from Latin, because so, we're going to start there. And that is cavalry and equestrian. So cavalry comes from the Latin cabalus, which means workhorse or a pack horse. And so a cavalryman is a soldier who fights on horseback, which makes sense. We still use it like that today. An equestrian, on the other hand, comes from the Latin equus, which also means horse. And again, today we use this word more as an adjective pertaining to or relating to horses or horsemen. Turning to the Greeks, we get a bit more. And they're, I don't know, I think they're fun. So their word for horse is hippos. And we get a lot of Greek, English, sorry, words from this root, um, such as the name Philip, um, which if we break it down, Phil, Philos and Hippos is someone who loves horses. Um, we also have the hippocampus, which is a part of the brain that has to do with converting short-term memory to long-term memory. Um, 
Now you might be thinking like I did, what does that have to do with horses? So I did a little bit of a deep dive on this word because I was also confused. Um, so like I mentioned, hippos means horse and campos means a sea monster. Again, right? Not seeing the connection because right, if we put it together, the hippocampus is a type of like seahorse monster thing. Um, or just a seahorse, um, which is what the word was originally used for in the 1500s, um, which was when anatomists and doctors, you know, started looking and drawing the brain in different, you know, organs and areas of the body. They noticed this spot and thought that it looked like a silkworm or a seahorse. And thus <laughs> they called it the hippocampus. So I did come across some images when I was looking all of this up. So you're welcome. You do not have to <laughs> trust me when I say that they are similar in shape, um, the hippocampus to a seahorse, but it is a little gross. So it, it does look similar. Um, yeah. And lastly, I can't finish this section without mentioning probably my favorite Greek word, which is hippopotamus. <laughs> so, apotamos is a river, and so a hippopotamus is therefore a river horse, which is so, I don't know, I find it really funny and cute because of how ferocious they are to call them a river horse. I mean, not wrong, but also there might be better names. <laughs> okay, so now that we know what horses were called, we can move into some stories about them. So horses were connected to the sea god Poseidon and his father Kronos, um, and both gods could actually transform into horses. And along those lines, we have centaurs, which were half human, half horse beings who, apart from Chiron, you know, were mostly seen as disorderly and violent and a source of chaos. Chiron, on the other hand, was known for his wisdom and was a teacher of many Greek heroes, um, such as Achilles and Jason. And Achilles actually had his own set of immortal horses named Balius and Xanthus, who we actually see him talk to in the Iliad, which is kind of neat. Um, and I'm ashamed to say that I actually almost forgot about one um, until just I was about to record. Um, and that's probably one of the most famous horses, the Trojan horse. <laughs> so this is not an actual horse, right? But a structure um, in the shape of a horse that the Greeks built to trick the Trojans um, to letting them into Troy, which led the Greeks um, to win that war. So definitely a famous and important one there. So yeah, there are much more stories with horses from mythology, but um, I want to talk a bit more about history um, and how they show up in the archeological and historical record. I think one of the most concrete examples we have of the importance of horses is when we see them in relation to burials. So trigger warning for the next couple of minutes, I'll be talking about death, um, both human and animal. So 
death actually gives us a lot of details and information um, about people who lived before us, especially for archaeologists and ethnographers. Um, from grave goods to burial types and positions, um, even to the iconography on gravestones and the bones themselves, um, all are pieces of, you know, the puzzle to the past. And we see horses here too. So I was looking, like I said, at my camera roll to see what images of horses I took um, while I was in Greece this past summer. And Interestingly or not, I don't know, um, the ones that I took pictures of that I noticed were either in the context of like a sport or burial. Um, and I'll put these pictures up on Instagram. That way you can all see them. There's only like, I think five or six. Um, but yeah, when I think about horses and burials in particular, the first thing that pops in my head is the Herun or the hero shrine at Lefkendi. So this was a late Dark Age, early Iron Age burial um, that sticks out because of kind of who and what and how it was found. Um, so here archaeologists found the cremated remains of a man and a woman whose body was buried beside it. Both had grave goods and also in this um, structure, they found buried the bodies of three horses and they believe that they were sacrificed the horses to be a part of this elaborate burial which we do see happening in other cultures as well and i say an elaborate you know burial because not only of the horses but the grave goods that they found with the bodies as well. They found um, objects that had gold and ivory and faience, which is like a kind of fancy glass. <laughs> um, so all things that, you know, were expensive. Um, apart from, yeah, act actual horses in a burial, we also see their images on grave steely, which we can kind of equate to headstones today as well as on sarcophagi and larnaki, which they're like these stone coffins, um, sometimes almost in the shape of <laughs> a bathtub um, that were used for inhumation. So one of the most important, no, not important. One of the most famous of these is the Aya Triata sarcophagus because of the elaborate detailing on the sides, on the outsides um, that show a procession and a sacrifice, as well as people being drawn by horses on chariots. Similarly, there was also a Larnax that I saw at the Archaeological Museum in Rapetra. Um, that was actually my the favorite thing that I saw in that museum. And it also showed horses drawing a chariot, as well as other animals possibly a hunting scene. Um, I honestly stared at this coffin for quite a while and took a lot of pictures just because the animals and the people on it were so stylized and kind of fun to look at how the Minoans would really take up space as much as they could in their art, which was fun to see. So the importance of horses to the Greeks and Romans can also be seen in their sports and spectacles and how they measure success. So horse racing and chariot racing were some of the premier events at the Olymp 
ancient Olympic Games, as well as other crowned tournaments. In fact, the first female winner of an Olympic event was in the four-horse chariot race. Her name was Kaniska, and she was a wealthy Spartan princess who raised her own horses and was encouraged by her brother to compete in the event. So it is not beyond me, right, that I just mentioned that she was a princess. So again, just like today, horses take a lot of money and time and effort to raise, especially if you are going to be competing with them. So typically women were not allowed to compete in the Olympics, but the chariot race is a unique circumstance because the owner of the horses was not the actual person who rode them in the race. Um, they would have a jockey do this, um, but they were the ones to gain all of the glory and prestige for winning which is how um, Kaniska was allowed really to pull off this Olympic victory. And yeah, when I was actually in Olympia this past summer, I was able to visit the Museum of History of the Olympic Games of Antiquity, where I actually got to take a picture of an inscribed circular stone base of a four-horse chariot that was dedicated by um, Kaniska herself in the 4th century BCE. And I'll also post a picture of that. It will just look like a giant rock. <laughs> um, yeah, so as I mentioned at the beginning of this section, the Latin word for horse gives us our word for equestrian or someone who rides a horse. But in Rome, it also gives us the term equites, which was the second kind of level of the property-based class system that the Romans had, um, which was just below the senatorial class, which was the top. So from everything that we have seen here, I think it is clear just how integral horses were to the ancient world, as well as how tied they were to eliteness. So thank you all so much for sticking with me through this second section. As I was kind of going through everything, like I said, I realized, I don't know what I got myself into thinking, yeah, I'm going to talk about horses. That'll be easy. There is so much <laughs> I could have delved into here. Um, but yeah, I hope that you enjoyed and that all of the horse girls are happy <laughs> with this. Um, but yeah, this is where I am going to leave things for today. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you like the episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. If you would like to get in touch uh, with me, you can reach me at Myth Tarot Love or at Biddy Diana on Instagram or send me an email, mythtarolove at gmail.com. Next week, we are going to continue our court journey and be talking about the queens. So for now, though, I will leave you with another poem by Sappho. Um, maybe I'll end up doing this for all the court cards. We'll see. But Sappho says, some say an army of horsemen, some of foot soldiers, some of ships, is the fairest thing on the black earth. But I say it is what one loves. It's very easy to make this clear to everyone, for Helen, by far surpassing mortals in beauty, left the best of all husbands and sailed to Troy, mindful of neither her children 
nor her dear parents, but with one glimpse she was seduced by Aphrodite. For easily bent and nimbly has reminded me now of Anctoria, who is not here. I would much prefer to see the lovely way she walks and the radiant glance of her face than the war chariots of the Lydians or their foot soldiers in arms.